How you guys doing? Good. Awesome. That's great. Well, happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the house. Come on. If you didn't grab any donuts back there out in the lobby, there's some donuts for you dads. Uh, we love you guys. We appreciate you. Um, and if there is any time in our world where we need godly men to step up, and to lead their families and point them to Jesus. It is now, amen? And so uh, this is so important that we celebrate our fathers. And as dads, my encouragement to you, you I've, there's a lot of incredible dads in this church. I mean, I've seen you guys with your kids. Incredible, so intentional. I even, I've been stealing things from you guys, just so you know. I've been stealing different ideas. I stole an idea from Zach, actually. He took one of his sons on a, like, becoming a man kind of trip, like, right before junior high. And, uh, and I was like, wow, that sounds awesome. I'm going to steal that idea. <laughs> and so I actually did that this past week. I, I got to take Gabriel, our oldest son, and we took a little day trip, and it was awesome. Wasn't it, Gabriel? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> and so it was great. And uh, you guys are doing a great job, dads. You're doing a wonderful job loving your kids, pointing them to Jesus. And I just encourage you, um, go there first in front of your family, meaning uh, pursue God in front of them. Let them see you pursuing Jesus. Let them see you reading your word. Let them see you worshiping and praying. Uh, let them see you doing that, and then they will follow your example. So real quick, what I want to do, uh, dads, if you're in the room, I know you're, gonna, you're not going to like this, but I'm going to ask you to stand up. Every dad in the room, if you guys can stand up and stay standing. And I just want to pray a blessing over you dads in the room. Everyone around a dad, can you guys just reach out a hand towards them or lay a hand on them? And we just want to pray a blessing over these awesome daddios. That's what I call my dad. So, so everyone got somebody? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, that you are our Heavenly Father and you show us how to love. And so, Lord, I just pray a blessing over these men, these dads in the room, God, that you will equip them and fill them with your spirit. I pray that you fill them up with wisdom, Lord Jesus, fill them up with strength, Lord, patience, tenderness, love, affirmation in their hearts, God. Lord God, I pray that you give them grace, God, to love their kids well. Lord God, to live by example, to lead by example in their homes. Father, and I pray, God, that you will pour out your spirit upon them. Pour out your spirit in their homes, in their marriages. Bless their marriages. Bless their kids, Jesus. Bless their finances. Bless their jobs and their work. Lord God, bless their calling. Lord, your calling on their life. Lord God, in their pursuit of you, Holy Spirit, would you just fill them with your goodness and your grace, Lord, in every area of their life. God, everything that they touch, may it be blessed. Lord, we love you and we thank you for these dads in the room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, guys.
Well, how many of you guys remember the Magic Eye books? Anybody remember Magic Eyes? So it was those books where there, there would be these pictures of, uh, yeah, there it is. You're like, oh, yeah, no, right now I remember. Yeah, this random chaotic group of patterns and shapes and colors. These were the Magic Eye uh, puzzles, in a sense. And the idea around the Magic Eye puzzle is that if you stare at it long enough, and do something with your eyes. There's a lot of different approaches. Uh, when I was a kid, I would take the book and I would put it all the way next to your face and then pull it out, and then I would see the 3D image behind the chaos. And so this is what you would see if you look at it just the right way. The 3D image, let me pull that up. There it is. Ah, cute little Bambi. So... So it's, you have this 3D image that you find in this chaotic mess of patterns and colors and just looks like splatter on a page. But if you do the whole pull your face back or you cross your eyes or I, I, one of my strategies was to like look for the reflection of like a light on the, on the paper and look at the reflection and that pulled it out. I don't know. Anyways, but they were fun. And, uh, and some of them were harder than others, you know. Um, but this was the Magic Eye book, and it was a whole craze, and I had many of them and posters, and it was so much fun. Uh, but what's cool about this is on the surface, it's just a mess. It, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's, it's one of those, like, we really have to appreciate the art somehow when you're looking at it. Like, I'm sure that means something, you know. But it's one of those images, and it's just kind of chaotic. But when you look past that, you see something beautiful and something engaging, something with depth behind it. And it's almost like you can enter into a room, and there's this room on the page. And it's so cool. And I think the same is true for our lives when it comes to the love of God is that one of the most amazing attributes of God's love is that he can look past our mess and the chaos of our life and our brokenness and our failures and our inadequacies. He can look past that and see something beautiful. He can look past that and see what he created in us. On the surface, it looks like a mess, but beauty is hidden behind the mess. He has the ability to see beauty behind brokenness, and a lot of times even in our brokenness, there is beauty. And there's a scripture in Isaiah that talks about how God gives beauty for ashes, right? The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But I also believe that God can see the beauty beneath the ashes, no matter how thick they are. And so the title of my message this morning is The Beauty Beneath. The Beauty Beneath. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you will speak to us this morning. Lord, will you communicate your truth in our hearts? May it bear fruit in our lives, God. Lord God, we want to hear from you. Lord, I just pray anything that I say that comes from me, I pray that it will fall to the ground and come to nothing, but that your word will remain. We're going to bear fruit in our lives. We love you, Jesus. 
In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our series this morning on the law of love. And so last week we kicked it off and we talked about the two different ways in which we respond to these different attributes and truths of God's love as we discover them. And so as we're reading scripture, as we're praying, as we're worshiping, and we see a new facet of God's love, how do we lay hold of that? How do we take that in? And so we talked about that last week. And there's two different responses that we have. Grasp, to grasp his love, which means receive the full measure of it for ourselves. That see the love of God and all of its truth and then receive that for ourselves, his love for us, and then to remain or submit to his command to love one another as he has loved us. And so we freely receive, and then we freely give. Freely you received, now freely give. And so as we work our way through this series, I'm going to talk about various different truths in the love of God, and I'm, I'm kind of try, trying to start from what we experience first in our walk with Jesus. Because there's different attributes of the love of God that I feel like that we experience as we grow in Christ. There's some harder things for us to grasp that we don't get right at the beginning. Like that love is confrontational and that we can speak the truth in love and there's conflict resolution in love. And that, that those are harder truths of the love of God, right? But typically doesn't start there when we encounter Jesus. So today, we're going to look, as we talked about before, at Jesus, because if we want to know what love is, we've got to know who God is. If we want to know who God is, we've got to look at Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God. So we are going to look at a parable, a story from Jesus, and then we're going to look at some examples that Jesus gave, as well as a teaching from him. So we're going to start in Luke Chapter 10, verse 25, this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It says in verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Not a good idea, okay? Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The guy answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Isn't that funny how he wanted, it wasn't enough for Jesus to say, yeah, you're right. He's like, no, I want to make sure that I've checked all the boxes. I want to justify myself that I am righteous. And so he says, who is my neighbor? Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Okay, so this is a very visceral image, okay? This man's traveling along the road, this group is lying in wait for him. They jump out on him, and they rip off his clothes, strip him of his clothes, and then they beat him. They beat him down to a bloody pulp, and there he is, completely stripped 
naked, bloody, bruised on the side of the road, and they left him half dead. This is a very, very scary image. So they stripped him down, they beat him, and they left him there. And then, verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So he sees him, and he's like, okay, passes by on the other side. Then a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, they all saw him. But when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn, all the way, however far away that was, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, so overnight, he's taking care of this man. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus gives us a picture. The man wanted to justify himself. He says, How, who's my neighbor? You know, like I love God, you know, great. How do I love my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to care for so I can make sure that I get the people, the right people. And Jesus says, let me tell you this story. And he paints this picture of what love looks like. Each person saw the man. They all saw him. And they saw him in his condition. But Jesus, or the Good Samaritan, saw him differently, through a different lens. And in this story, for us, Jesus is the good Samaritan. And we are the man beaten and bruised on the side of the road without Christ. In desperate need of a savior. That's us. And Jesus sees us in our brokenness. Covered in shame. Beaten carrying wounds in our life, alone, having been rejected, insecure, and then half dead. When Jesus finds us, we're just trying to navigate life and trying to be alive, fully alive, but we just can't seem to cross that threshold because life is only found in him. But Jesus finds us in this condition. And what does he do? He bandages our wounds. And he pours oil and wine upon them. He puts them upon, he puts us upon his donkey, goes all the way and finds an inn, and then he stays with us overnight. 
and cares for us. And no matter what the cost, no matter what the expense in the blood of his son, Jesus, that it takes to heal us, he's willing to pay it. That's the love of the father. You see, the two men that saw this, the Jewish man before, they saw him, but they came to a different conclusion than the Good Samaritan did. They saw the man through a different lens. Maybe they saw him in his condition and thought, ooh, that is an inconvenience for me. <laughs> I don't have time for all that. So... It's an inconvenience. Or maybe that broken person was an interruption to their life. Like, I don't, I don't have time for this. I've got somewhere to be. I've got something to do. So I don't have time to be interrupted by this broken man. Or maybe they thought, he's beyond my help. Like, I, what am I going to do? Like, I mean, look at him. I can't do anything for him. But when Jesus saw him, when the good, good Samaritan saw him, he saw him as beautiful, priceless, an image bearer, son and daughter of God, a brother who shares the same father in need of care. He saw him differently, worth his time, worth his attention, worth his investment. He said, you have value. That's how he saw him. And he's a mess. How could anyone come to that conclusion? But he did. You have value. Many times our first experience with God's love in our life is being seen by him. Like really feeling seen by God. Genuinely. What does that mean? What do I mean by that? It's like when someone notices that something's off with you. You know what I mean? Like you're, maybe you've had a really terrible day or a bad week or something, and, and you're just not feeling it, but you're kind of putting on a happy face, you know, and you go to church or whatever, and you're kind of doing your thing, and someone kind of comes up to you, and they're like, you okay? You're like, I mean, you haven't said anything. Why would they think anything different? But the difference is they're looking with love. They're looking at people. That person senses something because they're looking with love at the people around them. And they're being intentional to see them for who they are and what they're actually going through. And, and maybe they don't take the I'm fine answer at face value. They're like, but really? I have to say, you guys have done well with me as well. There's been a few times I'm like, I'm swell. And you're like, yeah, but, but are you? And I'm like, yeah, okay, not really. <laughs> but that's what love does. It's able to see us. It's not just empathy. It's affirmation. It's saying, even if you don't know, I put value on you. When I look at you, I see value. 
We affirm from our heart. It's not just words. We're not just saying encouraging things. In our heart, we affirm the value of each person. That's what we see in Jesus and we see in this story. And I know that was my experience with the Lord. I felt seen by him. Seen in my brokenness, but also with love with arms open wide, ready to accept me in. I was seen by the Father. Affirmation is when someone's words, actions, attitudes, and attention say you have value. That's affirmation. It's when our actions, our words, our attitudes, our attention speak to someone, you have value. I'm willing to invest, like the Good Samaritan. I'm willing to stop. I don't see you as an inconvenience. I don't see you as an interruption. I don't see you beyond repair. I'm willing because I see value in you. Jesus sees us and he sees us through this incredible lens of love. No matter how broken or imperfect we are, we're important to him. What's amazing is that's happened, that happened before we were born. Isn't that crazy to think? God saw you and loved you before you were born. So if we think that our actions, the things that we do, can change the love of God for us, we're kidding ourselves. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Right? Romans chapter 8. He loved us from the beginning of time. God sees who you are on the deepest level, and he affirms that. He sees who we are at the deepest level, his creation, his handiwork. He designed us exactly the way he wanted us, gave us the personality he wanted to give us, the strengths, the talents, the desires, the longings, all of that. He made us exactly the way he wanted us to be. And when he looks at us, he sees that, and then he affirms that. No matter what's on the outside, no matter what's going on, he looks past that, sees the beauty within his handiwork, and he calls it forth. That's what love does, and that's what the Father does. Look at this in John 1. Jesus gives us an example. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 44 says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, or son of Joseph, sorry. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He just calls that out. Nathanael's just walking up to Jesus. He's kind of sketchy, like, "Mm, coming out of Nazareth, I don't know. Jesus says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He's like, how do you know me? You don't know me. Nathaniel, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, what's interesting about this is fig trees have really large leaves. 
and they kind of create a natural like canopy. So it's like almost like a room. When you go under a fig tree, it's not like a secret place. And Jewish people would go under a fig tree and spend time meditating on scripture in that little secret place. And they'd be lined, a lot of times they were lined along the side of the road, so it was a great place if you're traveling to go and just spend time meditating on God's words. And so when Jesus told him, I saw you when you were under the fig tree, he said, I saw you seeking me in private. When no one else saw you, just like Matthew 6, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is in secret and he will reward you openly. What's Jesus doing right here? He's rewarding him openly. Hey, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He said, I see you and I know who you are. Even if you're unsure about me, I'm sure about who you are. Jesus replied in verse 50, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the victory? You will see greater things than that. God sees the good in us and brings that or calls that to the surface. He loves who we are at the core. Every person, every single person, God loves who they are. Now, he might not love their choices, He doesn't love the sin in their life, but he loves them. Why? Because he made them. He loves what he made, his work. And what he's, uh, he's in the business of doing is calling out that. No matter what's going on on the outside, to call out the identity that's on the inside and then to affirm that. That's what Jesus does. So what do we learn about love through this story and through the life of Jesus? How do we look through the lens of love? Number one, we understand love sees. Love sees people for who they are at their core, image bearers of God, and many times wayward children, prodigal sons and daughters. But he still sees them as image bearers. He still sees them as his best work, and that's what he is gonna call out of them. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, right? God calls out who we are, points us to who we are. So number one is love sees. Number two, love believes the best about others. Ooh, this one's hard. Love believes the best about others, credits them with good intentions, and is not suspicious. Love believes the best. Look at Jesus, a Roman centurion, an oppressor of the Jewish people, right? Like they're the enemy. Jesus says of a Roman centurion, I have not seen such great faith anywhere in Israel. And he's talking about a Roman, believes the best. Tax collectors, Matthew called him as one of his disciples. Man, tax collectors had a bad rap back then. Nobody liked them. Zacchaeus climbs up a tree. Jesus sees him and says, come down, I'm going to stay at your house. Zacchaeus hadn't done anything yet. He's like, I want to stay with you. And then after Jesus says, I see you, and I believe the best in you, then Zacchaeus says, I'm going to return anything I've stolen to anybody. I'm going to give it all back. 
That's how God does it. He says, I see you. I'm going to stay with you. A tax collector? What's Jesus thinking? I'm more righteous than him. You should stay at my house. No, I'm going to stay with him. And then suddenly Zacchaeus changes his ways. He believes the best about others. And then number three, we see that love aggressively advertises the good in others. Love aggressively advertises the good in others. That's what love does. Aggressively. It doesn't look for faults and then spreads an evil report. No. It aggressively advertises the good. It makes it public knowledge. It doesn't just see it, doesn't just see the good in someone, doesn't just believe in it, but it calls it out. Like, look at what Jesus said about Peter, right? He says, you're Simon, son of John, I've called you Cephas, you're, you're a rock. And Peter has done, did a lot of dumb stuff, and he says, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you who you are. You're a rock. That's who you are. I'm going to make it public knowledge, just like the Roman centurion. Just like the tax collector, I'm going to make public, let everyone know, this is what I think of this person. So love sees, it believes the best, and it aggressively advertises the good. So how do we respond to that? Right, we talked about the truths of God's love. How do we respond? Number one, grasp, freely receive. We need to freely receive this truth of God's love for us. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Well, look at what Jesus' response was. In verse 44, it says, He turned toward the woman. And he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Simon obviously saw her. He was referring to her in a negative tone. He says, no, do you see her? Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus says, you might not see her, but I do. And I see her heart. And that's what he believes in. It's what he calls out. 
and what he makes public. She is forgiven. Can't say the same for you, Simon. But she's forgiven. So how do we receive this truth? God sees us in the truth of our brokenness, but defines us by the truth of the cross. He sees us in, in our mess. Like he, he sees us, he's not, he's not looking over it. He's not like blind to our mess. He's very aware, just like we are. He's aware, but he doesn't define us by that. That's the difference. He sees it. He sees our brokenness, but he defines us by the truth of the cross, by what the cross has purchased for us. What? What did Ephesians 5 say? It says, you were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You were, you are, live as. You were once this, but now you are light. Live as a child of light. The truth of the cross. That's how God defines us. He chooses to look past our human frailty to the real you in Christ. And this is what he sees. He sees it in us, as we talked about before. He believes in it. He believes in you and who he made you to be. And he never stops believing. And he never gives up on it. And he constantly affirms it. And he perseveres until we align ourselves with it. But he sees it. He believes it. He calls it out and he makes it public. That's what Jesus does for us. Man, that truth can literally revolutionize our life. Seeing what God sees, receiving that from him, and not what we see or what's been spoken over us. So we receive that, receive the full measure of his love for us, and then... Secondly, we remain, we freely give. So we freely received the truth of God seeing us and calling out our identity in him. And then we freely give that out. We give that out to other people. When we're secure in who we are in Christ and we know that we are fully loved by God, then it gives us the courage to love people and to love them well and to be even a little courageous in our love for them. Because we have confidence that the love that God has for us isn't going to waver. It's not going to change. No matter what happens to us from others, that remains the same. And so we can freely give and freely love. So we submit to God's call to, as we said before, look with love. Look with love. When we're looking at people, when we see people in our lives, let's be intentional to look at them the way God does, value them the way he does, see in them what he sees. And what that means is we got to get in the word of God and understand what does God say about us? And we know that that's not just what he says about us. That's what he says about all these people. And we can say that about them. And we can see that in them and we can call it out of them. But we look with love like the good Samaritan. We see through that lens. We see someone in need not an inconvenience, not an interruption, but we look with love. Number two, we believe the best. This is hard to do. This is hard to believe the best about others. But until we know otherwise, 
we, we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. If we, now, if we know, obviously, that their intentions are wrong and they're not good intentions, well, then obviously we know that. But if we don't know, we're going to believe the best. That's what we're going to do. Until we know otherwise, we're going to believe the best about the people in our life. Oh, well, they probably didn't. Oh, they really hurt my feelings. Well, they might not have intended to do that. I'm going to believe the best that they didn't mean to do that or say that because I don't know that they did. So I'm going to believe the best. That's hard to do, especially when we're hurt. But that's why we have to bring those to Jesus. And when we receive his incredible love for us, healing and then and restoration, and then we can freely give love again. So, believing the best, crediting, crediting them with good intentions, unless we know otherwise, and not being suspicious. It can be hard to do when we've been burnt, right? It's hard to do. But the Spirit of God is in us, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he's able to do that. So we look with love, we believe the best, and then thirdly, we advertise the good. That means if we're, we're in a conversation and people are like talking kind of negatively about someone, maybe there's a little gossip going on or something like that, we bring the good to the table. Like, oh yeah, maybe that's true, but man, I just, I just really appreciate how intentional that person is. Or I just, I really appreciate how they said this to me the other day, or I really appreciate how you know, they see this or they have this strength or whatever it is, we aggressively advertise the good. And later on, we're going to talk about coming to people's defense that aren't present. We're going to talk about doing that. That's part of love as well. But if we want to stop gossip, great way to stop it is to drop a, a goodness bomb. <laughs> like drop a little encouragement or affirmation bomb right in the middle of that. And that, it's, it's funny because sometimes people don't know what to do. They're like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I, mean, yeah I, mean, I guess, yeah, that's true, you know. You know? <laughs> it, it catches people off guard when we do that. But that's what love does. It advertises the good. So I want to close with this. Let's start with our own heart, as always. Start with our heart. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What do you see in yourself? When you look into the mirror, what do you see? What are some of the things that maybe over the years you've said about yourself that were not affirming? What are some of the words that you've, maybe other people have spoken over you? that were degrading or that caused wounds in your heart. What do you see in yourself? So there's one picture. All the lists, all the things that we say about ourselves were all our own worst critic, right? So what have we done in that category? What have we said? And what comes up? What lies from the enemy come up regularly as far as our image and who we are? What, what do we see coming up, coming up over and over again? Right? So there's that. And then we ask ourselves, what does God see? What does he see in me? What do I know that he sees? When he looks into that image, 
what, what's the beautiful thing that he sees in me? So we take those two different things, and I want to do something together as a body. I want us to release and receive together. And there's a, there's a practice, spiritual discipline, spiritual practice. You may have heard it before. It's called palms up, palms down, I think. Or palms down, palms up, or I don't know, whatever. One of those things. But the idea is simply this. It's, it's very simple. It's we take that list, the things that the lies that the enemy has come up and said about us, we've said about ourselves, that other people have said about us, that are degrading, that aren't true, that don't align with what God has said. We take that list and we renounce those lies. We say, I, I release these things. I'm letting go. And that's the palms down. Just palms down. I release this lie and this lie and this thing and this thing and whatever it is, however long the list. Sometimes it can be really, really long. Sometimes it's like a few things that just keep coming up. We release and then palms up. Receive. God, what have you said about me? This is who I am. This is what you've said. And I receive that from you. I'm releasing the lies and I'm receiving the truth. So can we do that together? Is that okay? Can we do that together? So this is what we're going to do. The, the worship team is going to play a song and you guys can just stay seated. And as they play this song, what I encourage you to do is that. And you could do it physically. Like you can literally just put your hands like on your knees and just pray and release things to the Lord and then turn them, turn them up and receive from him. But I want to be intentional. So everyone just bow your heads and close your eyes for this moment. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you will reveal any lie that we've believed about ourselves. Anything that we've said over ourselves when looking in the mirror or that someone else has said over us. Will you reveal those lies that have come up in our hearts? Father, will you give us the grace to relinquish those things, to release those things, renounce those things, receive the truth about what you say about us, that we are blameless, holy, chosen, beloved, forgiven, righteous, sons and daughters of God, anointed, blessed with every spiritual blessing, made accepted in the beloved. We give this time, Lord, to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts as we release and as we receive together. In Jesus' name.
Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless peace. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and As we freely receive, Lord, help us to freely give. Help us to give that out, to look with love, to believe the best, to advertise the good. You are so wonderful, Jesus. Thank you for showing us the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I encourage you, take that practice home with you. I need to do this regularly. Like, seriously, I need it constantly. Those lies come up, it comes in, and just releasing and receiving. It's so simple, but it's really powerful. And then I encourage you, make a list. Make a list of different things that you know God says about you. Write them down. Make a list of the things that come up, the lies, and keep pronouncing those things and receiving the truth. Let that wash over you. And then we can love others with courage. Amen? Love you guys. You're amazing. Don't forget, um, also, this Saturday is Picnic at the Park. Come here at 530. Uh, pick up your shirts because we're all going to sport our one shirt shirts. And, uh, and then you can sign up for a shirt back there at the Say Yes board. And then we'll see you then. And have a great Father's Day, you dads. Love you. See you next week. <laughs>